재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 We're continuing our look at this uh, South Korea-Japan summit. took place today. It's the first summit ever for the Park Geun-hye administration with Japan. Needless to say, relations between the two countries have been tense uh, due to a variety of reasons, but mainly because of uh, certain aspects of Japan's attitude towards uh, these historical issues. So we're going to try to assess what the summit was about and also maybe get some advice on how Uh, relations can improve in the future. Give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a Kakao Talk message. We're going to be joined by a professor from Japan to get his thoughts on the issue. But right now here in the studio, once again, we have from Hanguk University of Foreign Studies, Professor Hwang Jong-wook and from Sungshil University, Professor Kim Tae-hyung. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us once again. Professor Hwang, uh, Aside from all the other concerns we have, uh, the economy is quite important to all three countries. Uh, Japan is an important trading partner. China is the most important trading partner for Korea. That uh, There were trade ministers also meeting. They do want to co- cooperate uh, more closely. Uh, that is another factor here that people do have to pay attention to, right? Oh, absolutely. I think you know, the three countries have affirmed uh, you know, the, the need for the closer economic cooperation, and they've agreed to actually also speed up you know, the negotiation that's taking place. For example, the free trade, free trade agreement among three countries are in discussion, so you know, maybe the speed will actually pick up. They've also discussed about you know, integration of their digital markets, so you know, we might actually be able to do online shopping from Japan and uh, China a little easier if you know, actual well, many of the uh, obstacles are removed as a result of such talks. Professor Kim, in your view, are the historical issues, whether it's sex slavery or the some of the disputes over things like Tokdo or for uh, China and Japan, the uh, Jiayu or Senkaku islets, um, Are those mutually exclusive from economic ties? So if economic ties improve, would that have an effect on some of the other tensions? Um, In some degrees, yes, uh, but not uh, in significant level. Um, If economic ties improve, it would help uh, to mend the ties between the two countries, even though they have some um, serious issues uh, between the two. But um, if you think about the comfort women issue between South Korea and Japan, this issue, this very emotional and sensitive issue has been ingrained so much in domestic politics of each, each country. Um, no, by no, no small part, uh, each government's deliberate efforts. So this appeal to nationalism has been very successful mm. um, and popular in both countries. So it looks like now each government's legitimacy depends on how tough I mean, they, they need to remain on top on this issue. Mm. So um, economic co- co- cooperation will definitely help um, to mend ties between the two. But uh, I think no matter how much interdependent uh, two countries are, politics almost always triumphs economy. I think. Right. Some very important points there indeed. Let's uh, also have joining us from Japan, we have adjunct professor in the Faculty of Social Sciences at Waseda University, Professor Michael Kuchek on the line. Hello? Yes, hello. Professor, thank you for joining us. Uh, First, your thoughts on this, uh, I suppose, long-awaited summit meeting between the leaders of Korea and Japan. My feeling is that this is going to be the start of a very, very good a relationship between South Korea and Japan. This long hiatus has created an atmosphere, at least here in Japan, 
for a, a wish that we really get beyond our historical and territorial issues and move on to working on really substantive issues. Now, that's my my sense from what's going on here, and this first meeting is probably going to be the first of many, and both uh, leaders uh, should be uh, prepared for that. So there is some optimism being expressed there. Needless to say, though, the uh, sex slavery issue is still something that uh, many people here in Korea still feel is important and needs to be addressed. We know that Japan, uh, their senior officials have said that, look, there's really going to be no change, there's really going to be no compromise on this. We've settled this, and we point to what uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe said during the 70th anniversary of liberation from Japanese colonial rule, at least what it is termed here in Korea, whereas Korea does feel that there still needs to be some movement. Uh, It doesn't seem like there's going to be any narrowing of differences on that, though, right? Oh, I, I doubt that there will be narrowing of differences, but there will be a lot of meetings and concerted talk and a lot of sincere uh, remorse expressed uh, by various levels of the Japanese government. Uh, Mr. Abe, by having the official uh, imprimatur of the cabinet upon his 70th anniversary statement, makes it government policy. Now, that may not suffice for the South Korean side. Right. Uh, probably won't. But what will be the complaint there? That you're ignoring the issue? No, they they will not be ignoring it. That there's no forward movement on it? Well, the the uh, the Japanese side will ask for forward movement on the territorial issue involving Dokdo. Uh, it There will be. This is a diplomatic game. And I understand that the Korean side sees it as an emotional identity issue, but it's not an identity issue for the Japanese side. And that disparity, that asymmetry, uh, means that resolution is quite difficult. Professor Kim, do you think the two leaders will hold another meeting to actually try and narrow those differences, talk about that issue in more detail? I don't think it's likely to happen anytime soon. Um, Unless they have something big to show their public, um, as tremendous achievement on these sensitive issues. Um, there, there will be uh, some working-level meetings to discuss these sensitive issues. Actually, uh, they have been having these kind of meetings uh, for some time. Um, besides, these two uh, leaders can meet at, uh, meet at other multilateral venues, like the United Nations or um, ASEAN uh, Regional Forum, uh, things like that, um, but uh, no bilateral meeting between these two leaders anytime soon, I think. Mm, so this was going to be uh, something that they addressed it, but as far as follow-up talks, it's not something that you feel is going to be imminent as, uh, and it's a second round. Professor Huang? Yeah, I mean, um, although the, 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 the three uh, countries summit, the Korea, Japan, and China, actually, they've actually uh, committed to having a sort of regular meetings every yeah. three years, something that they have suspended. So maybe we can, you know, hope that there might be a side Korea, Japan meeting. But, you know, unless there's some kind of a breakthrough, some kind of an increase to the political capital of the respective uh, heads of the states, I mean, I doubt seeing, you know, a, a new breakthrough meeting between Korea and Japan summit. Professor Kuchek, the optics of this is that, at least from the perspective of Korea, is that Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has long been calling 
for a bilateral summit with President Park Geun-hye. Uh, it's been the Korean side that's really been holding Japan at arm's length. Uh, whether it has been due to pressure from Washington, it does look like uh, Korea finally acceded to this meeting. They felt it was the time to do it right now. Uh, that being said, Japan seemed to take a relatively low-key approach to this. They didn't really uh, have much fanfare, despite the fact that the Prime Minister Shinzo Abe uh, finally got his uh, diplomatic wish. He didn't uh, hold a uh, press conference after the, the meeting. Is there anything to read into that, or is that, so, is that sort of par for the course? No, this is a, a special change in the way that Japan does its foreign policy. Under uh, the advice of Mr. Shotaro Yachi, who is the national security advisor, or at least seemingly under his advice, what Japan has done is move away from obsession with the Sino-Japanese relationship, the ROK-Japanese relationship, and the U.S.-Japan relationship. Instead, uh, Shinzo Abe has been jetting around the world, meeting other world leaders, establishing other relationships. He, this visit to Korea is the 62nd country that he's visited since he became prime minister in December of 2012. He has been simply going everywhere else so as not to get caught in, this, in this, these really, really fraught relationships with the immediate neighbors. So that's really very new. So the low key, well, you're number 62 in a long list. That's probably it. Okay. Now, besides a lot of these uh, difficult issues, uh, there has been some agreement made, uh, stuff that pretty much expected uh, uh, cooperation on various fronts, including uh, the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, uh, efforts to try to get North Korea to come their way, uh, the uh, Prime Minister Abe asking for help on the uh, uh, abductee issue, and uh, economic cooperation, which we uh, mentioned earlier with our two panelists here in the studio. Uh, do you believe that uh, the two sides could take a two-track approach if they are continuing to engage where they have the economic issues dealt with on one hand and then trying to, I suppose, settle some of the issues with the, the historical stuff on the other hand? I would think that the Japanese side would probably not be thrilled by that. Uh, basically, they don't want to uh, have any confusion over the importance of, of historical issues. And Frankly, if you have, if you separate out the history issue and put it on a separate track, the South Korean side might see it as something that is so important it has to be dealt with separately, whereas the view on the Japanese side is this is something that can't be resolved, so let's put it aside and ignore it. Uh, that is, that is the, uh, a recipe for failure, and so pulling it out might be a really bad idea. Would you agree, Professor Kim? Uh, uh, in some degree, yes. Um, the, the comfortable issue, history issue, has been dealt in two countries uh, uh, somewhat differently. Um, I think in South Korea it's more important um, than it is in Japan. But uh, one thing uh, that we need to uh, think about is each country's relationship with the United States. And, and that is extremely important for both countries. And the United States has been pressuring and asking uh, the two countries uh, get together and mend ties. Um, so in that sense, economic cooperation and, and other issues, the, the, the more meetings, I think, the better. 
Professor Kuchek, uh, bottom line, uh, what do you hope would be the next steps for the two countries uh, as far as trying to improve this relationship? The two countries have basically uh, very, very close working relationships in all kinds of very important areas, uh, not, um, for example, in terms of their coast guards. They, they, they work together a lot. Uh, and that's really helpful in terms of Japan's security regarding North Korea. Uh, the question of military co cooperation is always going to be fraught on the South Korean side. The, the thought of uh, Japan SDF, self-defense forces, being on the Korean peninsula, which if there were any kind of incident or, or, or great disaster on the Korean peninsula, that would be part of what the United States would want to have happen. Uh, that's unimaginable, I believe, to the Korean side. And the Japanese side says, well, you, well what, what, we don't want to work on the unimaginable. Uh, so if the two leaders continue to meet and continue to recognize that they're both there, the, the, the Japanese side has been somewhat frustrated by the fact that uh, the, uh, the South Korean side does not recognize or has not recognized that Mr. Abe is a long-term prime minister, a very rare occurrence in Japanese history. Uh, at least in recent history, but he's going to be here for another few years, so you're going to have him there no matter what. Uh, that kind of inevitability uh, should be pushing greater interaction. All right. We will leave it there, Professor Kuchek. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. That was uh, Michael Kuchek, adjunct professor in the Faculty of Social Sciences at Waseda University. I just want to get some reaction from uh, Professor Huang. I think it's interesting to get the uh, perspective of someone who is uh, based in Japan and, and seeing it through a different lens, perhaps, because it feels like the optimism being ex expressed there, at least to <laughs> the accomplishments and, and the, the results of this meeting, may be a little bit different from how many analysts in Korea would necessarily view that, right? I mean, you know, depending on where you are, you're, you're, you tend to sort of, you know, uh, internalize whatever views that are around you. And, you know, if you're in Korea, your very basic view is Japan is wrong. We ought to get apology. In, from the Japan's perspective, it might be that, you know, Korea is being unreasonable. So, you know, I think it's quite understandable that depending on where you are, you might actually have a different kind of base expectations. One thing, again, and, and it's the issue of optics here we had a trilateral meeting between China, South Korea, and Japan, and you had on the sidelines to that uh, uh, Premier Li Keqiang here in the country uh, visiting various places. Uh, we had Pres uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe visiting the country, a very short stay. It was not a state visit. It was a working level visit, and that's a very important distinction, whereas uh, really putting out all the stops for the Chinese Premier, who's nominally the number two man of China, not actually even uh, President Xi Jinping. Again, we have the relationship with the United States, but it is quite apparent that Japan is on a little bit of a different track than China and Korea as to how they, how they view relations. Would you agree or disagree? I would agree with it. Um, it there has been um, kind of two minilateral um, relationships have been developing. Um, one, in, in one way, uh, you, can, uh, you can see the trilateral, trilateral meetings between uh, among the United States, uh, Japan, and South Korea. And on other level, you have a trilateral relationships among Korea, uh, Japan, and China. 
this is there are some overlaps uh, of interests, uh, but there are clearly some differences as well. So how to manage this uh, sensitive and delicate uh, um, frameworks? Uh, it will be very important to decide the future relationships among the three countries. Right. I, I mean, Professor Huang, the, the professor from Japan did mention how the U.S. is really a major factor here because both countries have strong ties to the United States, and uh, they do want to make sure that alliance is strong. President Park Geun-hye normally, when coming into the office, known to, thought to be a very pro-American Korean president, uh, but what we've seen interestingly here is uh, maybe more so than any other modern Korean president, she's moved very, very uh, much closer to uh, China than a lot of people expect, not just economically, but also diplomatically. And we keep talking about this balancer role or this very difficult kind of tiptoe that South Korea has to do. It's not an easy thing for the foreign ministry and the Blue House right now to try to navigate through, right? As far as what is expected from China as well as their traditional alliance with the U.S. and then, of course, that factor of Japan that comes into play. Yeah, I think and you know definitely it's a tough job. And to complicate the matter worse, you have to think about the you know internal politics within Korea. I mean, one thing that President Park has made up is that her very hard uh, or you know hardline stance against Japan. You know, I think if she is to uh, kind of, if she is to dilute that image, I think she really risks her political capital within Korea. So I think that political calculation will come into play. In, in conjunction with the complicated diplomatic picture that you just painted. Because the interesting thing about this, Professor Kim, is that, okay, we've had, let's say, the past uh, couple of presidents. President Noh Moo-hyun, maybe you would expect him to be a little bit more hardline against Japan in terms of how they approach the issues. I remember he was very strong when uh, Japan sent those uh, vessels close to the uh, Tokdo Islands. He uh, immediately sent those Coast Guard ships and said, we will engage if you guys uh, cross any further. But we had subsequently President Lee Myung-bak and then President um, uh, Park Geun-hye. President Lee Myung-bak actually born in Japan and you thought he was going to be someone ushering more of a pro-Japanese um, uh, stance, which might have upset some people, but he was actually the first president to physically <laughs> land on the Tokdo Islet. So you kind of wonder, really, your basic political philosophy is really irrelevant when it comes to the situation on the ground because now we've seen these two conservative presidents hold very, very hawkish or at least hardline stances towards Japan. You wonder how is this relation going to improve if these relatively pro-Japanese politicians have to be so hardline? Well, it's, uh, it's a complicated issue uh, in, uh, if you look at the South Korean domestic politics. Um, sometimes the past philosophical stance doesn't really matter. Um, if you try to win uh, some domestic constituents' votes or um, if you want to win uh, some sentiments uh, among different groups in, in South Korea. Um, but uh, one thing very clear in the last uh, uh, several years has been tough, tough, you know, standing, on, standing tough on, uh, on Japan has been popular. Um, and there is a reason, good reason uh, to, be, uh, to be so. Uh, but um, I think sometimes they've been making this case a little too far um, and so things make things a, a lot more complicated than mm. it, it, it should have been. Um, so as uh, Professor Huang said, um, this kind of political calculation could be very risky in, yeah. the, in the near future. Final questions then, uh, Professor Huang, how do you think Korea and Japan can resolve these pending issues right now and uh, move forward to perhaps a brighter future? Well, uh, I'm sorry to punt the issue, but if I had a quick answer to that, I should be getting a job at Blue House right now. 
not an easy solution. Not an easy solution. Inside no. right now. What about you, Professor Kim? Well, uh, it's, it will be very uh, difficult, extremely difficult. Uh, maybe two countries can start uh, something with uh, easy issues to to agree with. Um, uh, some, something like a sports exchange, student exchange, um, cybersecurity environment, but those are very kind of low, um, low, uh, not very salient issues. But that could be a starting point. But if you go move move, move further to reach uh, sensitive issues like uh, um, economy, politics, security, and especially history, um, then you are you're not going any further. I think so. Well, uh, again, it's quite remarkable how <laughs> the uh, ideas of glass half full and glass half empty are very different uh, depending on if you cross the East Sea or not in terms of your perspective of uh, this uh, recent summit between Japan and Korea. We're going to have to leave it there, but uh, we want to thank our guests for joining us once again. As always, appreciate your insights. Uh, Professor Hwang jung Professor Kim tae appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.